space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And today I'm doing a special bonus edition of the podcast. Um, It's a solo podcast, obviously. I am missing my partner. Um, But uh, I had mentioned uh, about a month and a half ago when I did the last podcast by myself, uh, because Brett was traveling a lot, that I really felt like there was a need in the industry for someone um, to really provide some context to some of the dynamics I've been seeing recently between vendors and merchants. And I'm in a really unique situation, uh, really unique position in the industry where I can see both sides and I can understand both sides. And so, um, I'm going to try to do a little bit of that today. Um, especially in, uh, kind of in lead up to CMP Expo, which is coming up very, very soon uh, this week, actually. So um, if you are a vendor or a merchant and you are on the plane on the way to CMP, I can't wait to see you. Uh, If you're not able to join us for CMP, you will get to hear the recorded live episode uh, next week. So at least there will be a little bit, you'll get to um, experience a little bit and won't have as much FOMO. Um, Before I dive in, one of the reasons why uh, I didn't record this podcast five days ago like I was planning, or actually I think it was like four days ago as I was planning, is because Tuesday morning I got a phone call that just really rocked my world. And I know a lot of you uh, experienced this this week. Uh, We found out that a really amazing fraud fighter uh, was killed pretty tragically in a plane crash accident in Alaska this year, uh, this week, I apologize. Um, Ryan Wilk was somebody who just embodied everything that I'm passionate about too. He really loved fraud. He loved educating people about fraud. He loved learning from people about fraud. I met him eight years ago when he founded the e-commerce loss prevention department for Universal Studios. Um, I had just started at MRC as the program manager and he came to me wanting to create a group for ticketing companies to share information with each other. Most of them were competitors. Some of them were event ticketing companies. Some were travel. uh, Some were destination uh, ticketing companies like his company, like Universal Studios. I think we averaged between anywhere from 20 to 50 people on the call every month. Uh, He and I helped create that together. Really, I should say it was his idea. He drove it. He was the leader. I just facilitated it and did some of the administration stuff as well as some of the programming around it um, in helping move the conversation forward and helping everybody get information from each other out of it, Um, both calls. And we also had an email thread. Um, It that group was very instrumental for a lot of companies and I know it really helped with a lot of fraud fighting especially eight years ago when we didn't have all the technology that we have now um he then went on to StubHub and did just an amazing job in uh you know knocking down ticketing scams and he that was really when he started to speak at conferences and all of that and then he moved on to new data and I think it kind of fitting that I'm talking about merchants and vendors today because 
Ryan was an awesome merchant, but he was an even better vendor. And I really think that he was a great solution provider because he was a merchant before and he had that understanding. And I'm not necessarily saying that every person in sales has to go back and be a merchant first in order to succeed. That'd be hard to go backwards. Um, but really, he just provided such an interesting, unique perspective to that role. And he really helped New Data become a gold standard company that works with the top 1% online companies in the world. And he did that through sharing his passion in fraud and wanting to, you know, both educate and learn. And he was just a genuine person who had a great laugh. Um, we all have several Ryan Wilk stories. I was really fortunate to be able to see him at MRC this last year and give him a hug and catch up for a little bit. And then we actually planned to have a phone call after CMP Expo and when he got back from his vacation. Um, but the one thing I have to say about Ryan is I honestly wouldn't be on this podcast. We wouldn't have this podcast. I wouldn't have worked with CMP for the last five years if it wasn't for Ryan. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to help a lot of people in their careers and make introductions to a lot of merchants. I do some of that because people have done that for me. And one of the people who did that for me was Ryan. Uh, several years ago when I had left the MRC, I, I went to another merchant job and it just was not at all what I had been promised. And, um, there were a lot of issues about my gender and just a lot of things. And Ryan was actually visiting that company for sales, uh, meetings and, we um, had lunch one day and he was like, this is not you. This is not, you're not ever going to be like, you are way above this. Uh, they are making you do menial work and you are way beyond this. Like, and they're not going to learn, like you need to give up. And I'm not somebody that gives up. So he encouraged me for that. But not only that, he introduced me to Steve Casco, who I didn't know. And Steve is the founder of CNP. Um, and he told Steve, you have to hire Carice. She knows merchants. She knows what they need. She, you know, she gets it. I don't know everything he said, but whatever he said, Steve put me on a plane within a week, uh, to Boston to meet him. And I accepted a position. I wouldn't have had the guts to go into consulting if I didn't have my relationship with CMP, honestly paying the majority of my bills. Um, I also wouldn't have ever met Brett Johnson because that's how I met him was through, you know, working with CMP and hiring him. I, we wouldn't have had this podcast then. So I know this is quite the tribute, but I just, I couldn't get it on this podcast without talking about Ryan. It was a really tough day today or this week. It was a really tough week, um, to learn that about him. And I'm grateful that I had a friend, uh, a mutual friend of his, who's even honestly a better friend of Ryan's than I was. Um, reach out to me Tuesday morning. So I got a day heads up before most people. And I'm grateful for that. But I will say that took me longer because Wednesday when I woke up, it just became real seeing his picture all over LinkedIn and all that. So, um, you know, I, I can only hope that I've made as much of an impact as Ryan reading all the tributes and everything else. But um, really, just a stand up guy. We lost a good one. I, I really think he could have been CEO of a company one day. I mean, he was a big reason why new data got bought out by MasterCard. Um, so I'm, I'm proud to have known him. I'm still processing the fact that I'm not going to see him at the next conference I attend. We used to always speak almost the same stuff. So, um, yeah. And, and I got to meet his wife as well a couple times and had dinner with her and she was great for him. So anyway, I'm going to wrap it up on that. It's going to be kind of a tough transition to go into all this stuff. But again, there wasn't a better stand-up salesperson uh, for a, a solution provider than Ryan. 
Um, he really understood the space. And um, I think that that's really important. So, okay, switching gears. <laughs> Why did I want to do this podcast so badly? Um, more than ever, I've seen just a huge divide between merchant and vendors, their perspectives, what they want. I hear a lot. Uh, Steve Casco actually used to call it scuttlebutt. Hey, Grace, what's the scuttlebutt? Um, I have a lot of scuttlebutt. Uh, I try to keep it to myself. Uh, I, I really try hard not to, and I most often don't name merchant names, but I do know a lot about what vendors are, you know, better than others at sales as well as their products and everything else. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky that because I'm a former merchant and the roles I've had that I've earned the trust of a lot of merchants. And I also, um, put on a lot of merchant only events because I know how important they are. Um, and you guys, you know, on the vendor side would probably be really surprised about how much merchants tell each other, both the bad and the good. Um, you know, it's great to hear them say, Hey, you should actually, if you're having that problem, you should talk to these guys cause they're great. And you know, sometimes they get into pricing. A lot of times they don't. Um, I've definitely seen when one merchant gives another merchant, uh, you know, a, Hey, these guys are great. That, that is like gold. I mean, other merchants are almost like more likely, I know they're more likely to sign on the dotted line with that vendor than if not, um, especially if it comes up organically and it's not forced or seems like, you know, their provider put them up to it. Um, but I also hear a lot of bad and so do other merchants. And let me tell you, it gets around fast and there's almost like this unspoken list or just unwritten list really of vendors that that merchants start staying away from because you hear one time oh my gosh once they have your email they're never going to let it go or you know other horror stories that we're going to be talking about soon they stay away um so some companies have a reputation problem and i'm not sure they know it but um you know i just i really feel like I strongly believe that solution providers play a really important part in our industry. They help us be successful in fraud prevention and it shouldn't be us versus them. It shouldn't be merchants versus vendors or vendors versus merchants. But, you know, I, I personally believe it should be all of us, vendors and merchants against the bad guys. But there's shared responsibility in this divide. And honestly, I more than ever you know, more money is being pumped into solutions through, you know, venture capitalists and private equity and, and all these other things. And that means more sales reps. It means more pressure to sell. It means there's, you know, higher goals and caps and you've got phone calls from investors wanting their money. And so then, you know, you've got to hit the target. And, you know, the more sales reps there are, the less there are are people who really understand this industry or the people that they're targeting. Um, and unfortunately, bad sales habits, um, the, the bad sales reps, they ruin the perspective of vendors for everyone. Uh, they ruin the reputation for the good vendors. They ruin the reputation for merchants. I, I know some merchants who haven't reached out to vendors who I genuinely feel like would really help them because they've heard or they've had a bad experience with a bad sales rep. Um, I'll get into a little bit more like what I mean by a bad sales rep, but I mean, there's definitely bad behavior. And I know that you vendors have heard that too. I mean, I know you guys have heard horror stories too, but unfortunately you're getting looped in together. And the only way you're going to be able to separate yourself out is by your actions. It's not going to be, I feel like every vendor believes that you're one of the good guys. I've talked to a lot of you and some of you, I'm like, mm, 
But, you know, everyone thinks like, no, I'm a good one. I'm coming from a good place. But, you know, until like, you know, you all, here's what I'm trying to say. You all think that you're an exception to the slimy sales rep stereotype, but merchants think that you all are that way until you prove them wrong. So you have to be willing to prove yourself. You have to be patient and wait for them to see that you're different. Um, but unfortunately, there's some really bad behavior out there that that's ruining things. I mean, when I think about the landscape between vendors and merchants even five years ago, it felt a lot more collaborative and partnership. There just wasn't as much need and, you know, so many, just so many sales rep. That's a really, you know, huge volume, but also just this pressure to get people to sign. Um, you know, I've also been working with a few vendors the last few months um, on helping them learn the industry and how to better sell their products to merchants. Um, you know, I've heard valid complaints on their side too. One of the vendors I'm working with, actually, their product is free for merchants, uh, which kind of sounds crazy, but um, the way their business model is, uh, the other side of the equation pays for it fully. Um, and I signed up to help them because I genuinely believe in what they're doing uh, for the future of our industry, connecting merchants and issuers together. Um, so essentially the issuers are paying for the full amount of um, the service because it's beneficial to them, just as beneficial as it is to merchants. And I offered to do some introductions to my uh, network, which just so everyone knows that is not something that I will be offering again. Um, it was a one-time deal because if I keep doing it, then it's not going to have value. But also it wasn't really a sales thing. I genuinely think that this product will help the merchants I'm reaching out to. I'm not reaching out to people I don't think it'll help. And even though it's free, I've seen such an insight and there are people who have been my friends but when I say hey I'd really love for you to meet my client this is what they're doing I think it'd be really good for you sometimes I get ghosted or I see a different side of my friends and I'm like oh man no wonder the vendors feel defeated sometimes so know that like it's not just you guys and it's not just because it's a paid product unfortunately everyone has their guard up and there are I believe some ways that we can knock that down but we have to be strategic and really thoughtful about how we do that. Um, you know, I, I do have to say that I'm going to go into a lot of generalizations. I do offer in my consultancy training for vendors on fraud in general. I have a fraud 101 or, you know, fraud boot camp, whatever you want to call it, like a primer, um, as well as on payments too, and chargebacks, um, training that I do live or, you know, over for the phone. Um, as well as I provide strategy calls to vendors on understanding their position in the market, as well as how to better sell to merchants. Um, merchants, the reason why I do this is actually for you guys. It's not just to pad my pocketbook, though, you know, bills do need to get paid. But really, it's because if I can help them have some insight into what they've done wrong or what they can do better, I think it's better for the industry. I'm coming from a really genuine place. Um, so that's why I've been offering that. And I think it's been extremely helpful to people. I will never name merchant names that have provided feedback, no matter how much you beg. 
Um, and I will not offer, you know, introductions specifically to my network, but there's a lot of value in the specific information that I provide. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to get through all my notes today. So, um, there's just so much here that I can definitely provide, um, you know, in situational basis. So that's the only advertisement you'll hear today. I just, I wanted to throw that out that if you're like, oh, I wanted to know more, like that's, you know, that's why. Um, or that, you know, that is how you can learn more. So I'm going to have to go through this pretty fast because I just know I am doing too much. I wrote out way too much. I worked on prep for this for like two and a half hours because I wanted to be super intentional, but I'm already 15, 16 minutes in. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I asked on LinkedIn and a few of my, um, closest contacts in the industry to help answer a few questions about the merchant and vendor gap in online fraud prevention. Um, I got more responses back than I was expecting. I think because this is a pretty hot button topic right now. Um, I asked several questions and I got way too many answers to read on the podcast. I tried to select the ones that I thought would be most helpful and that would lead into my advice at the end that I'd already created. So it kind of complements each other in a way. Um, but after CNP, and I have to like temper expectations because I have a lot going on, but mid to late June, I plan on curating this information and I'll take out the parts where people said, don't say this out loud, um, but providing it publicly for both sides. Um, and I'll do that on LinkedIn as well as hopefully my website once it gets updated um, for you guys to learn better and read all the responses. Um, I know when I mentioned that I was going to do this podcast like a month and a half ago, a few of you have reached out so many times being like, oh, you know, have I missed it or is it coming yet? And I actually really appreciate that because it validated the fact that other people want to hear this. But, um, also just know I, this time of year is just insanely busy. Um, I'm very grateful that it's busy. Uh, things will start dying down soon and I'll be taking on more individual clients as well as, uh, doing some of this other stuff too. So, Okay, with all that said, one of the first questions I asked in the survey was my worst experience with a vendor or a merchant. So whatever opposite side was dot dot dot. I should say first that I kind of laughed because at the very first thing I asked is like I'm considered a merchant, a vendor or a merchant that, you know, switched to the dark side kind of a joke, right? Um, and I didn't have to ask that question because every single answer, which I anonymized the answers on purpose because I know so many people that did it and I just didn't want that to taint my perspective. Like, oh, I love what they say or, uh, you know, those kind of things. So, but I could tell exactly who was a merchant and a vendor by what was said. Um, so that was kind of funny to me. So I'm going to start reading. So my worst experience with a vendor or merchant was. So I'm going to first read the ones from merchants. And you guys might hear a little bit of paper ruffling. And that's just because I have a lot of papers spread out all throughout my desk with all of these things. There was like 12 pages to the survey when I printed it out. Um, okay. So merchant number one said, I had a call with a vendor. I told them I was in discussions with multiple vendors and would follow up if I was interested. Thereafter, the salesperson began nearly harassing me, calling me directly, calling our support line, emailing repeatedly, contacting me via LinkedIn. They then passed my details to another sales rep who began doing the same thing. Okay, here's the deal. This relationship between a merchant and a vendor from start to finish is like dating. If you are harassing the person, if you are contacting them over and over again multiple ways and they're not calling you back, they're just not that into you. Um, it's a waste of your time too, as a vendor. Um, but it also, 
literally, I'm not joking, merchant bad be- or vendor bad behavior makes merchants not ever want to work with your company. Not only when they're at their current company, but their next company. And if that sales rep moves to another company, they won't work with that company too. Now, I know what you're saying, vendors. Like, oh, that's closed-minded. That's not fair. What if we had a bad day? I get it. That's just the way it is. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I can't change how it is. All I can do is tell you about it. Okay, so next merchant said, I told a vendor via LinkedIn that I didn't like having the platform used to solicit me for business. The vendor then identified someone that worked for me and said and reached out to them and said they knew me and that they wanted to start a conversation with my coworker about doing business. Coworker told me and social engineering attempt was foiled. So there are some merchants that that genuinely feel like some vendors are trying to social engineer their company which is interesting because the fraud department is constantly being socially engineered. So, you know, probably not the right department to try to do that, but trying to wiggle your way in is kind of what they mean. Um, I have heard this complaint over and over and over again. Uh, When one merchant says no, or with, okay, so if you're talking to a company and the main person, say you're talking to the decision maker and they say no, Going to 47 other people in the company to tell them about your product isn't going to work. You have to understand that that when it comes to fraud and payments and chargebacks, there's usually only one gatekeeper. They're the ones who are deciding yes, no, maybe for should we go further in the conversation with this vendor. If you try to go around them either before they say no or after they say no, they are not going to like that because you know what happens when you go to all 47 other people in their company or even one or two or three, all of those people are emailing that gatekeeper and saying, Hey, this company reached out to me. I'm sending it your way. Cause I know it's your business. So I recently was in a situation where, um, this happened where a large merchant said no to a vendor. And I guess I wasn't in the situation. I was just, uh, an observer, Um, a, you know, it was in a consulting relationship actually, you know, with, with the merchant and they, you know, said no to the vendor. Uh, the vendor then at every conference kept going up to different people from that company and, um, you know, Hey, I just want to tell you about my product and then emailing them and then doing all this other stuff. And finally there was an email and I was DC'd on it, uh, to the vendor saying, listen, I said no everyone else is coming to me. I am literally having to respond to internal emails about your company every period, single period, day, period. Please stop. I really, really wish that I could say that the vendor stopped. I don't know if they did, but it is annoying. It gets you on their blacklist. You could be the best possible product for their company. If you do that, you're, it's not going to work. You need to respect the hierarchy and you need to respect when one person tells you no. Um, it's very important. Now, can you continue to build your business with their competitors and then come back, you know, several months later and say, hey, you know what? Here's some success data from me working with some of your competitors. Just thought I'd let you know. Like, sure, once in a while, but don't try to go around them. That's worse than when I tell my daughter no and she goes around and tell and asks dad. That'd be like her asking dad and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and cousins and sisters and blah, 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 and the dog. You know, it's really annoying. So please stop. <laughs> okay, there's so many more. Um, but 
Okay, two more. So, oh, this one starts with, oh boy. I shared a new-to-me fraud trend in an industry forum. While I shared that the fraud wing was targeting high-value items, I never disclosed if my company had actually experienced any loss. So imagine my surprise when a sales rep for a fraud prevention solution who I had already said no to wrote to both my company's director of finance and the CFO and claimed that we were bleeding money to the tune of six figures. He told them that I posted this in a public forum about our company. I spent the rest of the day putting out fires as the rumor spread from finance to my boss and then back up to her boss and then to her boss's boss, in addition to dropping all of my day's work to pull emergency transaction reports and the original post on the forum to show that it wasn't saying that there was any fraud, that we were having any losses, to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to the CFO that I had not hidden our impending financial ruin from him. Then the sales rep after I had the or then the sales rep had the gall after I again told him no with nearly all of our management on carbon copy to reply with, well then why did you ask for help? When merchants post, this is why I rant and I have on several episodes about forums with mixed company. Vendors just can't help your, you guys just can't help yourself. It's, I'm not faulting you. When a merchant's asking a question on a forum, especially the private forums like that are run by um, trade associations or publications or whatever's out there, they're wanting information from their peers. They're not asking for a sales pitch. Uh, I know of one vendor that literally on every single forum post in one of the common forums with merchants and vendors, every single time a merchant posts anything, whether their company really genuinely can help them or not, says, well, if you used our solution, you wouldn't have this problem. I mean, it has had the reverse effect on her company. I have had probably 10 merchants tell me about this this vendor because I'm not part of the forum. Um, that says something because if 10 merchants have told me about this specific vendor having this behavior, that means that so many more are noticing and that has the reverse reputation effect on your company. So be aware of that. I know you guys are coming from a good place of wanting to help, but respect the fact that merchants want to hear information from other merchants. Now, if you have worked with another merchant that had a similar issue and you, they found something that was vendor agnostic that could help them, then sure, share it with them. But Also, don't go above the merchant's head. Again, there's a gatekeeper and there's a hierarchy. Don't go below them. Don't go beside them. Don't go above them. That I am saying this to you guys, not just because it's annoying, but because it has the opposite effect on your business. It makes you be blacklisted either with just that merchant or they tell five friends. And I know in this specific case, because I know this merchant that this happened to, she has made it crystal clear to several merchants who that person was and who the company was. Um, and that's her right, because honestly, that would piss me off too. That is highly, highly unprofessional. Um, and yes, that was a newer sales rep to our industry, but right now the lines are blurred. Um, another one said, I've asked a vendor if he could help me with a specific fraud problem. He didn't understand what I was talking about. So he started blindly pitching to me after telling him, whom I've talked to, launched into a 10-minute rant and bad-mouthing his competitor. I will never talk to this vendor again. Be professional, guys. Don't bad-mouth your competitors. And 
honestly, we can tell when you don't know what you're talking about. We can tell when you're just reading a script or when you, you don't know anything about the industry. Please educate yourself. I recognize that there's not that much education out there. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to provide some vendor education on the vendor specific education on the industry in a more formal way through my consulting practice by the end of the year. Um, there will be a fee for that, but I promise you it'll be valuable. But until then, like get creative or ask questions, just do something or admit you don't know. Just don't act like, oh, here, here's the solution to your problem is my solution. And there are other things that can help. And sometimes it goes a long way to say, hey, there's three different types of solutions that would help you with that problem. Ours happens to be one of them. Um, but here are the other ones. That's super helpful and builds credibility. Um, you know, another one just said, you know, I can't pinpoint a specific experience, but overall those that are too pushy and try to convince me on a product that does not align with my needs and priorities. Additionally, those aren't those that aren't prepared to answer some questions that I have about their product. You need to understand the product you're selling. So again, they're echoing everything I'm saying here. Understand your product. Understand the industry. You need to understand this industry inside and out more than probably any other software as a service industry. And the reason why is because merchants that are focused on fraud have a really strong gut and they have a strong bullshit detector and they also know their stuff. And what I hear over and over again, some version of this is if I can't trust them to know about the industry or know how they can help me or know the answer to some of my questions, how can I trust their company with my transaction data? How can I trust them to have access to my data and have a direct connection to my company? So it's important. And this goes beyond just the sales reps. I think this really goes to companies in general and how you train your sales reps. I really, really think that you need to have independent trainers and not just internal people who are pitching about the product and just selling the product. They need to understand their place in the industry. They need to understand the different types of tools there are in the industry and where they fit and what problems each of those categories and types of tools work and, you know, solve. Those are so important when you're having conversations. The our merchants they have we have, you know, merchants in fraud are extremely detail oriented, but we're also pretty inherently cynical because we're dealing with fraud and bad guys all day. So, you got to know that. I know it's not the best, but just understand that. So switching sides, so we're not just picking on the vendors all the time. These bad ex worst experiences from a vendor or a merchant came from vendors. So one says over the many years in the space, there are just as many bad experiences as there are great ones. There is nothing worse than being bucketed as just another vendor and not having the time, effort, dedication to helping solve a problem to be at all valued. The great experiences often result from the ones where we are part of the same team. The terrible ones are where there is some adversarial culture towards vendors. I am sure you'll get some comments about this us versus them mentality. I never got it. In this world, we are all the us and the them is the fraudsters. When there is collaboration and teamwork, great things happen. I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, your peers haven't made it as easy for you and it's hard as a merchant understand that merchants are overworked, undervalued, most likely underpaid. They have 
like 97% of their job is doing other things. Maybe 3% is answering emails and phone calls for vendors. There's not many people that have the partnership title, uh, except for for very large companies where they do work with vendors all the time and vet new ones and all that. It's a very small percentage of their job and you're not the only vendor contacting them. Times it by a hundred and the bigger the company, the bigger the email inbox, let me tell you, and the phone calls and everything else and the LinkedIn messages and everything else. So, you know, be patient and understand that this is not that person's full-time job. So they don't have the time always to write back right away. I do think it's only fair that they be clear in communication, but you know, I'm getting to that. So another one said as a vendor in the space, we do a lot of free work in helping to build proofs of concept, testing, traveling to meetings, etc. Again, when starting off conversations around solving complex problems, there is a lot of time and effort and expense in evaluating if we are the right fit as a solution before there is any financial reciprocation. We are totally happy to do it when it's appreciated. I do think that, that that's good to mention. There, you know, vendors aren't getting paid until there's a signed contract. They do a lot of free work in the lead up time. And I know that the average lead up time between introduction and contract signed in this industry is six to eight months. I've heard that from so many vendors that I believe that that's industry standard. Um, and that's true for free products too, just so you know. Um, merchants need to be picky about, especially in this day and age with breaches and everything else, they need to be selective on who their partners are. So they're going to be. Um, the worst experiences generally result when potential clients do not acknowledge that there is, when done correctly, a lot of value being delivered way before we ask anyone to stroke a check. For one client, my team completed multiple data analysis. We had a group of members and senior leaders fly 3,000 miles for meetings and were assured of at least continued discussions. Then that company ghosted us. No return calls, emails, follow-ups, etc. It's always awkward, more for them than me, I suspect, to run into those folks at the same industry trade shows that we all attend every year. Um, so merchants, I, I do feel like you you owe the sales reps a, you know what, we're just not interested right now. Um, I think that that's only fair, especially when they put in so much effort. Um, okay, I knew time would be my enemy today, and I'm sorry, I'm shuffling papers again. Um, okay, I wish the other side knew this about my business, decision process, industry perspective, etc. So this is coming from merchants to vendors. We only have so much money, resources, and time. Even if I'm interested in a product, it doesn't mean it'll be integrated this year. That's so true. Budgets are super tight for fraud, no matter how big the company is. Um, I hear all the time vendors being like, well, they're so-and-so they should have plenty of money. They're just bleeding money. Yeah. Maybe they're like not bleeding money, but they're just like, you know, dripping money maybe for sales and marketing and other departments, but not for fraud prevention. Um, so keep that in mind and understand that. Um, someone else said it's very hard, if not impossible for a company of our size to take a significant risk on a small vendor where we become a disproportionate part of their revenue. The product may not be mature enough to benefit us yet. So I see this all the time with small startups who are like, we're going to get Amazon. We're going to get Walmart. Um, you know, you're not like, first of all, the bigger the company, the bigger the ringer they put you through the, you know, they have to. Um, also, you have a lot more competition because everyone's trying to get those big guys. But also, I have seen those contracts take forever and they'll nickel and dime and you may not even make any money off of it. So, and also, it's a huge risk for a big company to trust a very small, you know, solution provider. So know that and be realistic. Um, I think that's really good perspective. 
Um, as someone, okay, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. So this comes from another merchant. As someone in the fraud, risk, trust, and safety, I'm constantly slammed. There's not too many people on my team, and I don't have time to waste on calls with people that aren't useful. I once got bullied by a salesperson into taking a call on a product that I had no interest in, despite me telling them repeatedly that I had no interest in it. And I can guarantee you that no one at any company I work with will ever do business with a company represented by someone like that as long as I'm around. That sales rep was pushy and I got bullied into the phone call and I didn't and I will never work with that person again. I need a vendor to ask me about what I'm dealing with, discuss how their product may be able to help with those problems, and to treat me and my time with respect. I don't need to hear about all the great features that I have no interest in. So many people trying to, this is in parentheses, so many people trying to sell me KBA when I neither need it nor want it. But it has a timer, so that means that they won't have time to Google. False. <laughs> uh, I know this person who wrote it. I don't even have to look to see if it was them. I just know it. And they're awesome, but they're also hilarious. Um, they just tell it like it is, and that's why we're friends. Uh, fraud, risk, trust, and safety teams don't have the time or the money to waste on just any service. So you can't just sell us on anything. So true. Go back and listen to that again, please. <laughs> um, you are one of the three to five companies that have pitched me this week. Fraud prevention professionals are allergic to manipulative techniques. Go with educational techniques rather than push to close the sale. Fraud prevention is usually one of the last in line for funding. ROI and business case are critical in securing a contract. 100%. If you're not helping the merchant make the business case, providing them, I just created um, with one of my vendor uh, clients, a business use case model where all the merchant has to do is plug in some numbers and figure out what the potential cost savings is. That's super helpful. And I even wrote down an order of operations of exactly where to pull this data and what to do and how to plug it in. Um, help them. Don't just expect them because if you don't help them make a business case and explain to the business what your product will do for them, it's just going to fall on the floor for sure. Um, even if your processes are state of the art or above industry standard, you may be missing out on technological advances by not at least having a learn more mentality. Oh my gosh, I can do an entire episode about this. Um, there are so many vendors who have, were great five years ago, but haven't really improved that well because they thought they were the best. Um, I shouldn't say so many. I can think of about four or five that were kind of king of the hill the last, like, you know, for several years. And they've gotten beat out by better, faster, smarter technology. And now they're, because they didn't stop along the way and say, well, what else can we do to improve? Or listening to the negative feedback, which I know they've gotten plenty of. Um, so much so that there's one vendor that claims that they have a product that they don't or a feature that they don't. And when they're saying it in sales calls or in marketing materials and at conferences, they're talking about how they have state-of-the-art X. And because I know if I say it, everyone's going to know who it is already. Some people have guessed because this company, unfortunately, has gotten really out of control lately. But um, but then current customers will email them or call them. And I've gotten some of those emails forwarded to me. Um, so don't think it stays in a silo um, with basically, how dare you ask for that? We told you it's coming in a year or two. Um, so when you lie or when you overpromise to try to overcompensate for something that also isn't good because it's going to be found out either, you know, when they implement it or before that. So it doesn't look good. 
So um, that's part of it. But also just knowing that it's important to learn more. Be humble about your product and your company. Um, be humble about your own knowledge. You'll learn something. Um, okay, I'm going to have to skip past some of these, which kind of sucks. But um, the last one I wanted to say is uh, that I wanted to share for sure, because I literally wrote, yes, exclamation point underneath it, is merchants deal with deception all day, every day. If you're BSing, they can smell it. Even if you don't get the sale, merchants talk about sleazy sales tactics all the time. I can't say that enough. I wanted to make sure you guys heard it from a merchant and also from me. So it kind of backs up what I was saying. Like <laughs> they talk about it. Let me tell you. Um, okay. Vendors. Let's let, give you a minute. Um, so if, you know, it's totally okay to say no. This is coming from a vendor to a merchant. If we head down a path and uncover together that there is no value, that happens. You can tell us that. In fact, it's way better for everyone to just have the it's not going to work out conversation than stringing along false hope that it might be or that it might or worse, just ignoring emails, calls, etc. You aren't going to hurt anyone's feelings by getting to a mutual agreement if there's not a fit. I do think that that's fair. Merchants, I feel like the least you owe a vendor is to be clear in where you're at and your intentions. If you're playing the field, using my dating analogy again, you're playing the field, let them know. If you're just kicking the tires and you just want free drinks, which does happen in both dating and merchant vendor situations, let them know. Maybe after you drink the drink, but I'm kidding. Before would be nice. Like I, as a merchant, wouldn't go out to dinner with vendors at conferences that I knew our business would never do business with because it wasn't a fit or whatever, the, or we didn't have the budget for that specific issue, you know, product or whatever it was because I didn't want to lead them on. I didn't think it was fair to them and it's not fair to me because I know once you go out to dinner, you're going to get more emails and calls too. But also it just, it's a waste of everybody's time. I just, I think that we all need to be fair and open and honest with each other. Are there some vendors that when you say no, they keep on pushing? Absolutely. Then that's when you need to keep pushing more and more boundaries um, and say, you know, like literally, I think there's a few merchants that just want to change their work phone number and I don't blame them at all. Um, oh, I apologize. I just mixed up all my pages and now I can't find. Aha. I think this is it. Um, yeah. So I, I actually highlighted a lot more merchant ones than vendor ones because I think the majority of vendor ones were all basically saying, if you're not interested, tell me. I don't want to waste my time either. So it was really all saying the same thing. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm trying to decide. I really wanted. To, okay. Um, I'm going to do one more category and then I'm going to dive into my expertise here. Or not my expertise, but my suggestions here. And um, there's, okay. I have a question of if I could give any advice to a merchant or vendor, the opposite of my category, it would be. And then I also have my best experience with someone from the other side was. Um, why was it better, you know, than other interactions you've had? I really, really, really want to read both of them, but for time's sake, um, we just can't, like, we've been told we need to keep our podcast under an hour for a lot of reasons. So, and I'm pushing it. So I, again, I will make this available on LinkedIn soon and I will mention it on a future podcast episode too, that when it's up, but follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I will post it for sure soon. And I'll do it as an article. So everybody gets an alert. Um, okay, if I could give any advice to a merchant or vendor the opposite of my career, what would it be? Merchants, these are merchants telling vendors. 
No need to come from a non-sales sales approach. Saying, I'd love to pick your brain on fraud prevention doesn't change the perspective that you're a vendor looking to sell me on your product. This is true. And I actually had a conversation with a vendor um, that I've been working with uh, the other day about this because he was like, I just read this awesome book and it talks about how you need to have a conversation and like just pick their brain and find out what their problems are so you can have a solution. And I'm like, that's all great and good in like the in like you know, philosophical world, but we all have the skepticism, like, all right, when are you going to sell me? You know, so just be honest and open. Don't play these games of, oh, I just kind of want to pick your brain. I just want to hear. And I had a vendor tell me, oh, I'm going to walk into a really big merchant and just ask them what their problems are. And then I'm going to tell them how my solution can save it. And I can solve it. And I said, no, uh, that won't work. That big merchant will not tell you what their problems are. They are closed mouth. Like I know these companies very well and I know exactly, you know, who, like what their processes are. And I strongly suggested to my client that they walk in and, and, you know, share what they had first. So, you know, they show theirs before the merchant shares theirs. And you have to build that trust because when we're talking about fraud, it's very different than like marketing your sales or anything else saying, oh, we're struggling with our click rate on emails is not going to matter if the Wall Street Journal finds out about it. But saying, oh my gosh, we're having this huge vulnerability with account takeovers and we're seeing this and this and this. Yeah, that's huge. They've been advised by everyone in their company not to share that publicly. Now, am I super lucky that I'm sometimes the only one outside their company that hears that? Yes, but there's a reason why. Because I don't go around sharing it and I also don't use it for my own opportunistic gain. And they know that. They know that I'm not coming to them from that place. And so there's trust there. Um, I wouldn't say every merchant trusts me for sure. I don't want anyone to think that, but I, I'm very lucky that hundreds do. And I always want to keep that, which is why when I do work with vendors, I do have those strict rules. Um, another tip from a merchant, nobody in fraud, trust, or safety is dealing with identical issues. Trying to blast people with your solution, saying it's always going to help just makes you look like you have no idea what the space you're in is like. Try to actually build a relationship first and understand the merchant's perspective first and you'll sell a lot more. 100 times, yes. I have a tip later on that's going to talk about this that I think um, sums it up pretty well. But that is dead on. This is why that merchant and I are friends. <laughs> um, and that is not the same merchant. I just, I, a few people, I, I know who they are because I, I know what they're, you know, how they're how they speak. <laughs> um, understand that your audience fights social engineering for a living. If negotiate to yes, sales techniques are not social engineering, what is? So when you say use these techniques, it can turn off the merchant. De-emphasize the manipulative psychological techniques and emphasize relationship building. All these podcasts and books about sales and everything else a lot of them are horseshit when it comes to to fraud. I've worked with a few sales reps recently who were like, well, I read this book and they say that you need to do this and do that, whatever. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work in fraud at all. And I'm right because when they do it, their approach versus the way that I suggest they handle the meeting, there's different outcomes. And please know, I hope you guys listen to this podcast enough to know that I have zero ego. I'm not trying to say that I know everything. I've just been a part of this industry for 15 years in a very unique position of like a 10,000 foot view. And so I really do understand this space probably better than most, especially better than the sales reps that have only been in this industry for a year or two. And maybe their last job was selling medical devices. 
it's it's night and day. Um, and yes, that's a true story. I did meet somebody at a conference last year who had been selling medical devices two months earlier and then was selling either a fraud chargeback or payment solution. And they thought that their one week of training at their company was exceptional and they knew everything there was to know about this industry. And I was like, wow, that's impressive because I've been in this industry for 15 years and I still don't know everything. But I have a learning mentality, not a knowing mentality. So that's the difference. Um from let me just make sure that i'm getting this right um okay there's one more understand that your audience oh wait nope i already read that sorry guys um there's so many more on this don't treat each other like idiots for vendors number one chill out don't go over your champion's head within the organization go in knowing your solution isn't the only one and the value of that solution is based on how merchants utilize it the merchant will tell you how they will use the solution and if it fits their needs being honest and easy to work with is more effective than one to 5% uplift from your competitors. I can't just rip and reset your, to your solution. If it's a fit, it might take time for me to fully integrate your solution and move out legacy solutions to make room. And then this merchant also decided to give a little bit of advice to merchants too, because this, I believe this is the person who was both a vendor and a merchant. I'm 90% sure. Uh, for merchants, give the vendor a chance to show they aren't going to railroad you or shove unneeded wanted products down your throat. So just a few quick ones from vendors, and then I'm going to try to rush through my, um, my advice as well. Um, so one vendor said, I realize it's easy to not respond, but if you're truly not interested in my product, just say so, preferably with a reason. I'll actually stop contacting you. Now, to be fair, this guy doesn't represent all vendors. You and I both know that merchants, but at least give them the benefit of the doubt. At least try once to say, we're not interested now, or contact me in six months, or this month is really busy, contact me then, whatever it is. But be honest and respond. If they continue to contact you, if they go around to other people, that's when you blacklist them. That's when I know whether I tell you to or not, you're going to tell five friends at least. Um, if not a room full of merchants at CMP Expo, um, happens every year. Um, that is not the reason why those merchant-only sessions exist. We talk about so many things, but it happens, and I do think it's important. And nine times out of ten, actually, there's a lot of merchants that go straight to specific booths after hearing about certain products within those sessions. So they do benefit you guys, but there is some negative ones, too. Um, one vendor said, we are all busy. You may think that we vendors are just sitting by our phones waiting for a ring, but that's not the case. I understand and totally appreciate that you are busy too and know that you are bombarded with requests to meet. That said, if I reach out and it has to be out of the blue because if we've never before, if we've never met before, there's no other way. And the message is relevant and compelling. Take the call. If it's not, that's on me. And there will be no hard feelings if you let me know. There's some consistent messaging in here, guys. <laughs> Tip another person said, typically during an introductory call, we can exchange info briefly and come to a pretty quick understanding if there are areas to work together or not. If at the end of the call there is no fit, I will not waste your time or mine with pushing something that is clearly not a need. That's not how things work. Your risk pardon the pun, and that was written, clever, clever vendor, uh, your risk, pardon the pun, is 20 to 30 minutes of time with huge upside to learn about trends, uncover solutions, etc. whether we end up working together or not. 
got a fair point. I mean, all of us merchants want to learn, but you do have to be selective about your time. I've been in both situations. Um, last one I'm going to read. When you are engaged in looking for a solution, make sure you are upfront about if you are actually making a decision or kicking the tires. RFPs are a joke nowadays and companies already know who they want more than 75% of the time. I wouldn't totally say that's true. I work with several merchants on RFPs. There are several companies, especially older companies, like maybe not the digital first ones in San Francisco, but maybe the ones in the East Coast or the Midwest that do require RFPs for all vendor selection. And some of them genuinely don't know anything about your company. So I wouldn't say that they're all a joke, but I do understand all the points there. Okay, so... I'm going to try to go into some of my suggestions. I did take a lot of time to write these out and I'll probably think of more later. Um, again, these are just some of the things that, you know, I cover with my clients, but I really wanted to provide this advice as well to everyone. So most more. Okay. So I put it in categories of vendor do's and vendor don'ts. So vendor do's, it's really, really, really important for you to understand merchants in general, their jobs, their roles. What's the difference between a trust and safety team and a risk team or a fraud team? What's the difference between if uh, that department uh, reports up to the CFO or to the head of IT? What, what does that difference mean to you? How do you need to position that tool depending on which organization they roll up into? Um, understand that they're probably overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, that they have honed their gut and have a strong BS meter that most genuinely love to learn. But that means looking, kicking the tires to see what's out there. So they do, you know, merchants want to learn what's out there, but that doesn't always mean that if they're asking you about your product, that they're ready to sign on the dotted line anytime soon. And maybe it's on you to ask them where they're at on that. Ask them, you know, those questions. I understand that not every merchant is open with that. There's a reason too, though, because a lot of times when they say no, they still get bombarded. So it's like, well, why do I even bother sending an email saying no, when I'm just still going to get 20 more emails. But I do think that we both sides need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, I do think it's really important for vendors to then better understand the specific company, the vertical, the channels they have. Are they multi-channel? Do they just have online and mobile? You know, do they have stores? What's their business model? What are the possible fraud issues that they have? If you understand fraud well, you can guess what fraud issues they have. If if I have a ticketing company that's kind of small and has, you know, $50 transactions and isn't recurring and is all digital, I can probably guess the three types of fraud that they're seeing the most right now. That's something that I know several really good vendors that have been in the space for a while can also do well. Um, understand that those things are very different than the last merchant you talked to. No merchant is the same. Um, you know, what's that company's attitude towards risk? What, you know, what's going on in the company? Like all those things. And yeah, some of those things you're not going to find out until you have a conversation and just coming out and asking that is going to put them on guard. But you know, try to understand it better and at least understand the specific, you know, vertical and the channels and their business model and how your product can and can't help them. At the very least, do that homework. That will build you some credibility fast because half of your competitors aren't even doing that step. Um, then drill down even more to understand the person that you're pitching to. What's their role in the company? Are they manager, director, VP? Where do they stand? Um, what's their past experience? Have they been in this industry a long time or not? Like where have they worked before? 
Um, do they speak at events? The reason why I say that is that means that they're passionate about fraud, but they also probably know their stuff because they go to conferences and they see what's out there and they talk to vendors. They're not just, you know, at their desk and just talking to whoever's cold calling them. Um, and are they the right person to contact? Um, one other thing I've mentioned is that most merchants in fraud, especially the new ones, don't have any experience or training in vendor relations. So do give them the benefit of the doubt, but also understand that they, this is not their job. This is not their full-time job to answer your emails and your phone calls. I'm going to sound kind of frustrated with that because I feel like so many vendors take this personally and they feel like the only job that merchant has to do is to answer my email and they're not doing it. That is not the case at all. It is literally two to 3% of their job, if that. Um, unless there's like a huge need, they've had a huge oh shit moment and they really need a solution fast and they know you know the type of solution they need. That's the outlier, but most of the time, it's only two to three percent of their job, two to three percent of their focus. Um, things that I think will make you stand out more than your the majority of your competitors in this space is be genuine, and offer education or insights. Offer to make a merchant intro to someone in their vertical or with similar issues. Offer something of value and you'll learn, you'll earn credibility and you'll also stand out. So that's something I do a lot of times with merchants when I first meet them. When I talk to them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know somebody, you know, that's having that same problem as you, or I know someone in your vertical, would you like an intro? That is the best way to build trust. But understand, I'm not building trust because I want to sell them something later. It's not even coming from a place of I want to consult for them later because I just have an attitude of, you know, the right people will come to me. I don't need to continue to pitch. And I've been very grateful for that and for word of mouth and credibility. But um, it really is genuinely because I want to help them. And I have noticed when I do help them, that builds a level of trust. And it's something that's really important. And it's something that most of your competitors aren't doing. But don't be obvious about it. Don't say, hey, I want to introduce you to this merchant and they happen to be my client, you know, and they're going to talk to you about me all the time. No, just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Do it without any expectations in return. It's like if you're bringing flowers to, you know, your first date or your second date or whatever. You're not, you shouldn't be expecting anything else out of that. You should just be bringing flowers to bring flowers. Um, but it does set the tone and shows that you value them and that you want to be a helpful partner, not just pitch them your product. Um, don't go over their heads. So these are the don'ts. Don't go over their heads. Don't go under them. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. Don't reach out to 47 other people. I did. I said that already and I'm not going to do that again. Um, but seriously, I mean it. Um, don't tell too much information about specific companies that you've worked with, especially if it's negative. I've, when I was a merchant, I had a vendor once tell me like, oh, we're doing this big project for this company. And oh my gosh, their shit, like they don't have their stuff together and da, 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 da. And then we're also doing this project for them and it's not yet announced and nobody knows about it yet. Well, what that vendor didn't know is that my husband works for that company. <laughs> That was super unfortunate for that vendor. So I asked my husband, like, hey, are you guys going to do this new big thing? And now it's actually been a huge part of the business. And he does work for a very large company that's based in Seattle. And it was a huge business initiative that this vendor was helping them support. And he's my husband said, how did you know that? Like, I, sh I can't even tell you that. 
Like, how did you know about that? And I'm like, well, your vendor is off blabbing. What that also told me when I was a merchant is I can't trust them with my information. Why would I tell them what's going on in my business? Where am I vulnerable if they're going to go run and gossip to someone else? Just because you know information about another merchant doesn't mean that somebody's going to think it's cool because you know it. And now if you say... Like if you don't name drop and you say, hey, I've been working with this merchant and they had this issue and this is how we were able to solve it, that's fine. But merchants actually don't respect name dropping. They actually, it's the reverse. So I know a lot of vendors think like, oh, if I name drop who I've talked to or who I've had a meeting with, then they're going to think that, you know, I'm legit and they're going to want to talk to me too because that company's talking to me. And again, that might work somewhere else. But when it comes to sensitive stuff like fraud, No, we get really nervous when a vendor starts name dropping their clients or their prospects because that means that they're probably going to name drop us too. So keep that in mind, even with or without an NDA. It's just, you know, super important. Um, The more you push, you're pushing them away. You know, traditional sales tactics don't work. The used car salesman, the aggressive sales person, the person who's creative and thinks outside the box and, you know, contacts their, their boss, like all that stuff, it doesn't work. It gets you on really essentially their vendor negative list. It's almost like, you know, a fraud negative list, but their vendor negative list. And again, they tell people who's on their negative list and they remember who's on their negative list. We have very long memories. Um, there are certain companies I would never work with. Um, and I, I have a hard time even recommending them to clients because of the way they treated me when I was a merchant. That's just how it is. Sorry. It's just the way it is. Um, I do try to have an open mind, but there are some companies where that it's ingrained in the company on how to sell or how to act or whatever. And just the whole thing is rotten, you know, fish rots from the head, so to speak. Um, the non-sales sales approach doesn't work. Like I said, we're, we're on to you. It's don't be sneaky. Uh, just be genuine. That's all we ever ask for. Um, every merchant is different. Your solution isn't right for everyone. So this is, okay. I'm going to make that the final thing. I'm not going to, I'm going to two more things and then I'm going to go back to that. So, um, don't be hung up on brands. The bigger the company, the more pitches they get, the harder it is to have a contract. Some big merchants will actually rip off the type of solutions you have. So they'll have you in for all kinds of demos and everything else. They'll bring in their head architect and they'll tell you it's because they want to see how, you know, how to implement your product because they're really interested in it. And then they'll do the exact same thing. There's only about four or five merchants I know that have done that, but they're the big ones that everybody wants to work with. Um, and not all the time, just sometimes. This is one of my biggest pet peeves ever. Do not lie. It will be found out. I literally wrote this in all caps. Don't lie about your product capabilities. Don't provide guarantees before looking at any data. Don't overcharge your customers. Unfortunately, because of how much money is you know available in this industry, we unfortunately have some unscrupulous solution providers in our midst. Um, I, I hate that. I did. It wasn't like that when we just had a handful. Um, it wasn't like that until the last few years, but there have been some opportunistic people who have created companies and I don't believe that they have the merchant's best interest in heart. And if you have to lie to get a sale, that's not you. There's something wrong with your product and there's something wrong with your company. Um, really honestly, and everybody knows when you're lying and, uh, it, it looks really, really bad on you. I have seen it. I thinking of one specific company right now that had a sterling reputation, like a really good reputation. And I sent people there because based on the fact that merchants love them and the last year or two, 
after taking some um, outside money, the entire DNA of the company has changed and they're aggressive and they lie and they, um, it's not, it's not good. And, you know, honestly, that's really frustrating for me and for merchants and and it gives everybody a bad name. So here's the last thing I want to leave you guys with vendors that I want to leave you with. And then I'm going to go into merchants, uh, fairly quickly. Obviously I know that I'm taking up some of your time, but I hope you're finding this, you know, helpful for your business and your interactions, uh, whether it's at a conference, over the phone, over an email, whatever it is. So here's the last pieces of advice I really want to leave you vendors with. Instead of identifying the companies and brands that you want to work with, you really should be identifying the verticals and the business models that would benefit most from your solution. Not every solution, not every merchant is going to benefit from your solution. And if you believe that, if you just think it's a numbers game and you're just going to throw stuff up against the wall and see what sticks, your reputation is going to go down with it. Um, Vendors get really annoyed when they're like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? This won't help me. Like, why didn't you know that this didn't help me? And then they might say something to somebody. Um, so really, honestly, I, I suggest doing like a full day strategy and this is something I, I, you know, I, I can run or you can do it internally, but looking at, you know, what, what types of companies can we genuinely help? What product do we provide? I, I do think an outside perspective, whether it's mine or someone else's who knows exactly like what verticals and channels, uh, benefit from what specific types of companies and the categories of the vertical, uh, the vendors, would be very helpful, but it doesn't have to be me. Um, but you know, really honestly identify who's going to benefit from me most and then learn more about those verticals, learn why they benefit from you. Just start small. Instead of having to learn the whole industry, learn who your change, who your target market is. It's not the brands that, Oh, I want to be able to put this brand on our website, or I want to be able to get that fat check from this huge company. What are the companies that are going to benefit from your product the most? And you also need to compare it to other companies. Like, okay, we have this awesome product, but honestly, bigger companies that are, you know, Fortune 100 companies are probably going to benefit from the more expensive solution in my in my category. So, okay, there's actually a lot more smaller and medium merchants than there are those big fish. I'm going to focus on those and I'm going to learn as much as I can about those guys. I think that that's going to be a huge key to success for vendors for sure. Um, also just, you know, being genuine and curious and sharing information as much as you're learning information is going to help you go a long way. Okay. Back. All right. Merchants, you're not off the hook. Um, I've said that throughout this episode, but just to kind of recap, I really encourage you guys to educate yourselves on the different types and categories of tools, what they do, how they work, all of those things. Now I've created something for CMP, which they've now since adapted into a buyer's guide. But if you, you know, and I do think that the buyer's guide is very helpful. Don't get me wrong, but I separate out each category of products. And there's actually one or two more to add because I, I did this last year, but um, of the different categories of vendor solutions, and then a little bit, just a tiny bit of the problems that they solve. It's not comprehensive. It's more just like a direction. Because I think what happens is that every vendor says like, oh, we can help everybody. And oh, what's your problem? Oh yeah, we've got a solution for that. And it's not the case. And also 
You might have a specific problem that you just need a single layer for, like a verification or authentication or something like that. And sometimes you don't know who provides what. So that's why we created the buyer's guide. But at the top of each buyer's guide, it has like a paragraph um, that I wrote last year describing each category. Um, and then there are vendors in each category underneath those as well. It, it is a really good resource. Um, I My intention was not for it to become a... Um, a business a form of revenue so that's you know if you're hearing some skepticism in my voice that's why but I do think it's a it's a very good tool and I created it with you know I, with very good intentions um, but it is free for merchants um, you know really find out what they do how they work so then that way whether you have a problem now or later you know oh okay we need to go look at this type of tool and kind of sketch out like okay what do we have now if our fraud gets worse, if it's ATOs, we're going to look at this. If it's, you know, carding, we're going to look at this. If it's content abuse, we're going to look at this. If it's, you know, lots of new account orders, we're going to look at that. Like things like that, just really, you know, learn those. I think that's helpful. Um, be curious, ask questions to pre-qualify the vendor. So just like they're pre-qualifying you to figure out if you would be, you know, the right candidate or if you're, you know, likely to purchase their products, you need to pre-qualify them. And then on top of that, you really need to be honest about the likelihood of implementing their tool. Um, don't play hard to get. Don't play games. Don't ghost people. Like, come on, guys. This is a small industry. I get that it's time intensive. I get that you're getting hundreds, if not like thousands of these a year. So I understand I've been in your shoes, but maybe you just have like a boilerplate email where it's like, hey, you know, I really appreciate the effort, but we're just not really interested right now. You know, vendors don't always understand that you guys don't have unlimited budgets. I get it that you also probably don't have unlimited program man project managers or unlimited product managers or unlimited resources in development. God knows you probably don't have engineers at your disposal whenever you want. There's very few companies that do have a dedicated resource to fraud and risk. Um, if you have them, you are very lucky. I even worked once with a merchant that had their own data scientist for fraud. And oh my gosh, it was so awesome. Um, but I'm getting a little bit off track. What am I not? Um, but let them know if you're window shopping, if you're looking to address a need right now, if you're looking for the future, if you're just kind of curious, you know, do you have a budget that could cover it or not? Like be super honest. It, I think that a lot of the issues come from when you're not clear, Hey, not right now or not at all. Now, granted, again, I know there's a lot of people that don't respect that boundary, but when they don't respect the boundary, that's when you can be annoyed and frustrated and bitch about them. But until they don't respect that boundary, give them the benefit of the doubt and share with them. You don't have to be specific and say, hey, you know, our our chargebacks are at, you know, 30 basis points. So we really don't care about that. Like, no, you don't have to give specifics. Just, you know, a little clearer honesty, I think, would go a really long way. Um, you know, get, I think both sides need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Everyone's just trying to do their jobs. It, it does feel like it's conflicting, but really at the end of the day, we're really lucky in 2019 to have so many vendor options. Um, and yeah, there are some ones that I don't think are that great or that, you know, are unscrupulous, but the majority of them are really amazing and help us beat the bad guys and help us do it in a way that you don't have to build something internally. So they do add a lot of value. Treat them like they have value. But at the same time, you know, be respectfully, you know, be respectful, but feel free to set some boundaries if you need to. Um, I'm going to just reiterate this one more time. Like, don't ghost vendors. 
Um, you know, be clear in your communication. Um, you know, understand that some genuinely do want to help. Um, some are a little over eager sometimes. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Um, but some of them, and some of them might say they really want to help, but you you can tell that they're really just saying that because they read it in a book somewhere. That's a sales tactic. But because we've all honed our gut, we also know the genuine people. And I think of, you know, some of the vendors I know that have been in the space 5, 10, 15 years. Those guys are friends to merchants. You know, they're they're friends. They they know what works and what doesn't work a lot better than some of these new guys. I, I hope that one day the new guys catch up. But, you know, understand that they're not all the same either. Like, don't group them in the same bucket. Give, every, give them a chance and, you know, give them a chance to accept your feedback of not now. And then if they cross that line, then you can write them off. Um, my merchant don'ts are don't be as skeptical off the bat. Let them show you, you who they are. Um, don't believe everything you hear. Unfortunately, not all providers um, have a good product or good ethics. I know that's a little bit repetitive from what I said earlier, but um, I do think that's important, especially to some of you new merchants out there who don't go to conferences often, um, you know, who may not kind of hear the word on the street or the scuttlebutt as much as other merchants who have been in this industry a while and have lots of friends in the space and everything else. Do be skeptical. I have seen several merchants get really burned. I had a client last year that I literally joked with her, but I kind of wasn't joking that she needed therapy after her experience with one of the vendors that just completely screwed her and her company over to the point where they called me like, oh my gosh, we need your help. But they didn't trust anyone. Like when I suggested another merchant or another vendor, they were like, no, 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 no. Is there any way we can just work with another consultant? Because we really don't trust another vendor again. And it was absolutely awful, the things that were done and said and everything else. Like this merchant had every reason to not trust that vendor. and But unfortunately, it meant that they had every reason to not trust future vendors too. They had serious trust issues. Like it was almost like PTSD level. Not that bad. I don't ever want to like, um, you know, diminish the impacts of PTSD. I just mean that like it was really bad. Um, I've never seen anything like it, honestly. Like it, it just kept coming up in conversations like, oh, well they said this. So why would somebody, you know, why, I, I don't know what to believe from any provider anymore. Not even our current partners. Like I, I really don't feel like I can trust anyone. Um, it, it was because the merchant didn't really know that they couldn't trust what that company said. And, you know, they, they thought that they knew their stuff. Um, but, you know, reach out, ask each other questions, ask other merchants. If you don't know other merchants to ask, you can contact me. I'm trying really hard. Like I said in a previous episode, I do have to start setting boundaries of my own and restricting free advice, which I really, really hate. But at the same time, it's not fair to my paying clients to continue to give out free advice. Now, granted, I'm not giving out the same advice to my paying clients as I am you know, people, but, but it's also a time thing. Um, I'm a mom, I'm a podcaster. I work with CMP. I work with a fintech company long-term. I have several other merchant, you know, clients going, I have vendor clients going, like it's really challenging where my heart is to just want to answer everyone's question. I just can't all the time, but I can try. 
Um, or, you know, reach out to a merchant yourself on LinkedIn. If you are a merchant, I should pre-qualify that, uh, or I should qualify that. Uh, if you are a merchant, reach out to another merchant and say, hey, you know what? I'm new to the space. I'd love to pick your brain. And there are some senior merchants that get those emails quite often. And sometimes they have to set some boundaries. But for the most part, they all, I mean, they all love to do it. They just unfortunately have to also earn their paycheck. But, um, you know, reach out to them. Don't be intimidated of a big company. I mean, I would say some of the bigger ones, they have rules around sharing information on fraud. And, you know, if Brett were here, he would have a lot to say about that. And I would agree with him. Um, but, you know, just take a chance. Don't be intimidated by people in this industry at all. I think the majority of us really want to learn from each other and grow. And because we all recognize that we don't know everything. Maybe we know almost everything about the fraud in our own company, but maybe we don't know about the fraud in different other types of companies. And we're fascinated by that either because we want a career change or not. Okay. So just as expected, even though I cut out a lot of what I was going to share, um, I went way over my goal time. Hopefully my editor isn't too upset at me. Um, but I really, there was so much information to share with you guys on this topic, and I really wanted to do it justice. And that's part of the reason why it took a little while. And unfortunately, I had to take a couple days to grieve my friend this week. And that's just me being super honest. It was really, really hard. Um, and I, uh, you know, it, it really also made me realize just how close a lot of us are in this industry. We our like borderline family because we are in a battle together um, against the bad guys and you know we bond and I think a lot of us have similar personality types and we see each other a few times a year and you know all those other things and so it, it just made me realize how thankful I am for so many of you and I mean the people that I do know and I know there's a lot of you I don't know so but I am thankful for you for listening uh, or thankful to you for listening um, but just you know it's so cliche after any tragedy happens, but seriously, hug your partners, hug your kids, hug your family, you know, tell your friends how much they mean to you. Cause I mean, Ryan was the same age as I am. And so that was like, Whoa, really kind of a coming to terms with my own mortality. All right. So you can tell it's the end of the podcast. Cause I'm kind of switching topics around, but I am really looking forward to seeing so many of you guys at CMP. We have a lot of really fun things planned both with the live podcast and the entire conference. Um, I do believe that there are still some 50% off promo codes. If you live in San Francisco, you can email me about it. Um, I do have a couple, but um, I uh, I know it's really last minute by the time this comes out. So um, anyway, really excited to be meeting everyone, seeing everyone that I know. Um, and, you know, we love doing this podcast, but we always love hearing what you guys love. Uh, don't forget, like we mentioned on the last episode, after the live podcast, we're going to take a couple week break. We're going to come back and reformat the podcast to have a little bit more of a wider audience, but we will still be doing some merchant specific content. I have made sure of it because y'all know as cheesy as it is, you have my heart and my passion. Um, I do strongly believe that educating everybody on cybercrime is going to make the internet a better place for merchants eventually. Um, so if I can do a small part of that, then I want to, but, um, you know, you guys are where I, I, it's just, it's home for me. This is what I know and I, and I love it. Um, so with all that, you know, we love to hear what you love about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. 
Um, you can always find us on Facebook, on our website, www.onlinefroadcast.com. We love it when you subscribe um, and when you tell your friends that, uh, honestly, if this was helpful to you and if I provided like free advice that's going to help you do your job better and make more money for your company, please, the least you can do is review us on iTunes, subscribe, and put a post on LinkedIn about how much you like us. Like, that's the least you can do. Um, if you want to hire Brett or I, we're happy to do that as well. But that's the least you could do, um, <laughs> you know, in a reciprocal fashion here. Um, all right, guys, that's it for us, uh, for me uh, today. And as we always close out our episodes, until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.